Which next step is the best fit for your future? What can you do to accelerate your professional development? And how should you navigate different workplace challenges? I'm Kyle Gantos, and our team is on a mission to crowdsource insights, best practices, and action plans from accomplished peers, all who began their career in Big Four, to help guide you wherever you want to grow. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of So You Started in Big Four. My name is Kyle Gantos, and I'm excited to dive into a topic today with a couple special guests that uh, affects all of our lives on a, on a day-to-day basis, and that is failure. And uh, more specifically, how, how failure can prepare us, propel us rather to the best version of ourselves. I think uh, a lot of times in the workplace, failure is kind of faux pas. It's uh, frowned upon, uh, it's imperfections. It's not, uh, we tend to focus so much on success that I think a lot of times we take for granted, at least uh, publicly, that success really is a product of failure uh, and learning from those failures more specifically. So uh, excited to get vulnerable with two leaders that I have a lot of respect for, uh, not only again, uh, both really talented at what you do, but uh, I just think authentic people who don't mind uh, peeling back some of the layers and, and walking us through that. So uh, Brian, welcome back to the show, man. How are Thank you? Thank you for having me. Doing well. Good, Jonathan, how are you today? Good, how are you? Doing well. Um, so let's, I mean, let's cut right to it. Uh, I wanna, if you guys will humor me here, let's let's hop in the time machine and let's go back to a point in your life, Brian, where, you know, something didn't work out. Uh, and more specifically, you know, maybe on a, a pretty big scale where you, you really felt it. I guess, where are we, when are we, what, where, where are we at in your life? Yeah, so this is uh, not that long ago, there was, a client that I had recently joined. And so what this client does is they kind of manage doctor offices. So physician clinics in multiple regions, they kind of do the back end office management for those practices, really letting the doctors focus on patient care and providing for their patients. Um, so we got brought on and you know the team that we had in place was really an interim accounting team. Um, the company, their their growth strategy and you know the way that they operate their business is growth through acquisitions. And so over the past couple of years, now this is a brand new company, only about two years old. And during that time they had acquired, they started out with two practices and they had grown to six. So they had basically tripled their business. And what we found was the growth from a practice standpoint didn't necessarily translate into the growth from a corporate standpoint. So what I mean by that is the accounting team that they had in place was probably not well suited to manage the growth that they were experiencing with these practices. Um, And so we were brought on really to help get them kind of up to speed and caught up from an accounting standpoint. And so one of the big responsibilities that we had, and this was something that um, the company was kind of behind in their processes on, but it was calculating the, we call it production pay that the doctors receive. So the way that doctors are compensated is they receive their base pay, which is, you know, standard salary, 100,000, they receive bi-weekly paychecks for that. They also have a collections target based on the patients that they see 
and the collections that are brought in. And so once they surpass that target, they start collecting, we call it bonus pay based on a percentage of those collections over target. And so that pay gets issued each month. And so these doctors, the calculation had been done, the doctors were getting their bonus pay, but the step that had been missing was, you know, when you think about anyone receiving a paycheck, typically you get a pay stub and that pay stub will detail out, you know, here are your collections, here's kind of the detail behind the collections. And so what these doctors had been getting historically was an amount deposited to their bank statement without any insight into what was making up that amount. And we call those physician scorecards, which kind of lays out, here is the base pay that you're receiving in each pay cycle. Here are the collections that you brought in. Here's the calculation that we did based on those collections, based on your target and applying the percentage. Now that is a very high level overview of the calculation. I think the reality is there were a lot of nuances and a lot of things that for our team jumping into a messy situation, a team that was kind of behind in their reporting, you know, we were not only trying to balance getting caught up and getting up to speed, but also that accuracy and quality, um, you know, something that Embark really emphasizes and preaches. And so I think for our team, it was it was trying to find that balance between wanting to get caught up, wanting to make sure doctors had visibility into the pay that they were receiving and also wanting to get the pay issued on time and, you know, making sure that doctors were being compensated in a timely manner. And this is the goal here would be monthly. How many doctors are we talking about? I mentioned we had six practices. Each practice has on average about 10 doctors. So we're looking at calculating pay and really those six practices operate in three regions. So each region has two practices and about 20 doctors per region. Okay. Um, and so we really calculate it based on the region. And so we have kind of three separate calculations that we do. What we ended up finding was we did not have a good enough understanding of the detail that we were using in calculating the doctor pay. So when you look at our calculation, I don't think anything was flawed in the way that we were approaching it, but the step that we had missed, and I think a lot of this had to do with just the hustle and bustle, wanting to get caught up. Um, what we missed was really validating the data that was our starting point in computing the doctor production pay. And so we went through this long exercise of calculate the pay, prepare the scorecards, communicate this to HR, get their buy-in. You know, we went through all of these steps and all of the steps that we needed to do. And we come out the other side where the scorecards are compiled, the doctors are getting paid the next day, and we're sitting there thinking everything is dandy and life is gonna go on. What ended up happening was the doctors got paid and we had, a number of questions from the doctors. There was a lot of confusion around, you know, those original inputs that went into the calculation, some of the more nuanced areas around 
you know, the collection types, how were those being allocated? How did we determine what was a normal visit versus what was a surgical visit? Um, and we were probably not adequately prepared to field all of those questions that we that we were receiving. I would say this was not a disconnect, but it was for me a big learning experience and something that I didn't have a lot of exposure to, but this process and that calculation in my mind is something that is so much more tangible than anything I've ever done in my career. And what I mean by that is the calculation and the work that I was performing had a direct impact on the compensation that these doctors were receiving. And so one small error, whether it was, you know, miscomputing a dollar or allocating Dr. X's collections to Dr. Y, you know, all of those small things that maybe were not material in the calculation and the overall computation had a direct impact on those doctors. And so you can imagine putting yourself in a doctor's shoes or anyone who's being compensated for the work that they're doing, they want to make sure that they're being compensated fairly. And, you know, I think that was not the sticking point with them and feeling like they were not being compensated fairly, but it was the lack of clarity around how that compensation was calculated and ultimately what the impact was for them. And so for us, it was it was very much a learning curve of going through this process kind of in our mind, what are the steps that need to perform and a little bit of a, you know, maybe a disconnect between ourselves and, and the doctors about what mattered for them versus, you know, what the action items were for us. Well, and I think you bring up, there's a few things floating around in my brain right now. One, one of which is, you know, I would say, Traditionally speaking, if you're working for, you know, on a, on a company of financials you know, on the accounting side, a lot of this is, you know, uh, you know, th there's like a macro component to it where it's, you know, these, there's, there's all of this, you know, balancing needs to take place and you've got things in different buckets and then you have a process and then you have kind of the client project management experience. And while, you know, I think you've, you've been through that repetition so many times and perform well and have a high standard. I think what I'm hearing you say is there's there's these other lenses of perspectives that maybe it, it's not like your process didn't account for, but it's that you know after that even something relatively small, right? You have an, a customer experience that's changing completely for somebody. You know they're used to it being done this way, and now it's being done this way. Uh, there's how that is communicated, uh, and then you have even just the on a really micro level, the individual going hey, I'm used to this and now this is a different number um, and that affects my livelihood, right? So it's it's almost as if it's the same problem, but from a different perspective. And so now at least I, you know, I would imagine being in your shoes, you've got questions now coming from these doctors who, you know, maybe at one point were kind of an account on a piece of paper. Now it's a real human being. And then you've got, you know, the, the, the client potentially even just being like, hey, now we've now we've ruffled some of these feathers and you know maybe there was all good intentions here but now we have to you know work with this and i'm even thinking of the the pressure that you were under at the beginning with hey here's a project here's how we get from point a to desired point b everybody's talked through this we've accounted for as much as we can through due diligence and we did a lot of things right but now here we are and 
none of us accounted for this necessarily, which is, you know, I think if, if we're being honest, there's always going to be something that we didn't account for. Something will change or there will be in your, again, the pressures and all this stuff going on, limited time. We've got these monthly reports that got to go out across three practices and we want to do well for the client. I don't, you know, to what degree do you think you guys could be in that situation where, I mean, you, you can only be mindful of so many things at the same time as, as in that old saying, like, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. You know, you, you've, you've been in a lot of <laughs> yeah. situations where those same things are happening, not the right. exact same client, but it's it, it seems like it would be easy to focus on the 25 things that yeah. add up to success, but that doesn't mean you're going to account for 26. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you took a shortcut or did anything wrong. Right. It's tricky because there's two ways to look at the problem, which I think we being in the spots that we're at and the, the interesting component of like what you learned is or or what your experience was and like the difference there it's it's you have the way we're used to looking at everything as accountants is we're used to looking at spreadsheets we're not used to seeing what's on the other end of that and so when we go through so much of the stuff, it's so many things are abstract. Like when you talk about things like depreciation or whatever, like those things, while you can explain conceptually, like, okay, like here's what it is that's going on over there. Still at the end of the day, what your work ends up looking like is here's a number on a piece of paper and this thing is being calculated in this way. And I need to make sure that a formula is being, is being spread across this population appropriately and then we kind of like move on but then there's this interesting component to this which is like this is where we're talking about now we have to look at things from a completely different perspective which is thinking about things through the doctor's eyes and sitting there and going like putting myself inside their shoes and it's like well yeah like they're going to be sitting there and they're going to go like okay so here's here's the different here's my understanding of how each of these different things work and then they're going to work over there and they're going to do that and it's like it's difficult because you have to anticipate that in a space where we're used to not anticipating that because we're so used to just okay it's a formula it's on here and i applied it evenly and equally and i did this thing over here and all of my logic here is sound and then knowing okay, well, what's going to be coming through on the other side of that is somebody sitting down and going like, now I'm going to scrutinize all these different things and then anticipating like, where am I going to get scrutinized on this? Like, how do I make sure that what ends up affecting people at the end of the day is like when people are going to see the effects of this, this is a change to their livelihood, which is very different than how we're used to. Eh, well, you know, these things are, it's, it's applied to a company versus it's applied to a specific individual. So that's exactly it. And, you know, the fascinating thing behind all of this to me is from the doctor's standpoint, like they probably had these questions long before we had ever yep. been out there. They just didn't have the insight into the detail yep. because it hadn't been provided for them to even really formulate those questions. Yep. So for us in going through the process, like, we almost viewed it as a process improvement because we're adding this documentation yep. that should have been provided all along, you know, and now we're going to get into this cadence where doctors can start seeing their collections and they can start to have that insight. And to your point, what we didn't account for was all these questions that these doctors probably have had all along yeah. that they just couldn't like pinpoint, you know, here are the numbers to support what I'm thinking and what I'm wondering, like, now all of a sudden they have that information. Yep. And so once they have that, that's just, it's not like giving them ammunition for their questions, yep. but in some but way it, it does because yeah. now they have 
that detail that they can review on their side and make sure that, you know, whatever questions they have on, you know, how are, how are certain items being classified? Are we calculating our over the counter costs correctly? You know, all these things that they hadn't been able to see before mm -hmm. now they can. And the piece that they were still missing was the calculation behind that Yep. because the scorecards that we're providing them are not going to say, Hey, you know, here's the number, here's the formula that we applied. What we give them is a PDF that is very high level in the same way that, you know, if you're an hourly employee, what you get is here's your hours worked, mm -hmm. here's your pay rate. Mm -hmm. And that's the amount, you know, you're yep. not going to see like, here's the formula that we use to calculate that. And so that was the level of detail that the doctors didn't have. And it did open us to those questions that, you know, again, they had probably had all along, but just didn't have the opportunity to ask. I, th I think there's such like an interesting part there about the concept of transparency. Like we do these things like in the name of transparency in order to make sure that exactly the type of like you run into this situation. And it's funny because now having the benefit of hindsight or having the ability of like being able to look at things from a 30,000 foot view, it's like, yeah, that's kind of what the whole like the problem, the problem that you ran into is kind of the basic point of this whole exercise is we're going to start providing you with a certain amount of transparency into this situation. So that way, now all of a sudden you can be whether it's you need to be educated on like how it is that these things are happening or that you can sit there and go, hey, wait a second, I don't understand, like and ask the questions that you want to be able to ask. So it's funny because the problem that you run into is ends up being a natural byproduct of what it is like the very nature of the work that you're doing where it's like i'm sure in the moment it doesn't feel like oh yeah like this is this is exactly what the point like these questions were going to come up this is exactly the point of like why it is that we're doing this but it's funny like looking at it from hindsight perspective it's like yeah that's kind of the point of everything like they were going to have questions because like you said they didn't have insight into it before absolutely what was your specific role in this project so my specific role my title was interim FP&A manager. And so specifically for this process, I was the one directly responsible for two of the three regions, performing the calculation, gathering the data, um, and ultimately like doing the calculation that these doctors are getting paid based off of. Beginning of the project, you sit down, it's scoped out in like, you know, how are you feeling at that point? Like what, what's, what's going on in your mind and how do you feel at the beginning of the project? If I'm being honest, a little bit overwhelmed. Um, part of that was, this was a new industry for me, you know? So my experience was a lot in transportation and hospitality, consumer goods. Um, so making kind of this transition um, into healthcare, into that industry. It was a space that I was less familiar with. And then, you know, obviously like the reports and like even just the, the systems that you're going into to extract the data um, was a little bit of a foreign concept for me. So I would say there was certainly a ramp up period that was required just from a baseline knowledge perspective. And the other thing I will say is in all of this, while the increased transparency sounds great and, you know, we're fielding these questions from the doctors, 
the reality is there were a lot of nuances that we missed in that calculation. And it was not nuances that we missed because of an attention to detail or a lack of care for the client. It was kind of the lack of understanding and being in this time crunch. And so I think that was the hardest part to walk through was, you know, we took so much pride and care in going through the calculation and getting it as accurate as best we could. And then to find out, hey, you know, there's maybe one or two or three things that you didn't account for that you needed to. And then all of a sudden you see, okay, that impacts, you know, this physician's compensation that we've already paid out. Um, that was, it was a challenge. It was certainly a humbling experience, but I think the biggest learning lesson there was because this process is monthly and because, you know, we don't go through that iteration once and we're done with it, there was the opportunity to learn from that first time through and to learn from those mistakes and figure out like, what were those items that we missed? You know, was it an attention to detail? Was it our lack of understanding? Was it bad data that we started with? You know, what was, what was the root cause behind that so that when we went through iterations two and three in the next months, those problems didn't rear their heads again. I want to rewind just a sec, but the, the, the day before those first iteration reports went out, how are you feeling at that point? The day before, honestly, pretty good. I would imagine. You know, because <laughs> I think, again, like we felt confident in the amount of care and attention to detail that had gone into preparing those reports. So until we started collecting that feedback, it's kind of well, that saying. You've, you've like gone into this new space you've never really been in before. You've learned a whole bunch of information. You've developed a re relationship with the client. You've gotten some familiarity with the process of how all this is calculated. You've improved the process, as you mentioned. There, that's a, those are all real accomplishments, you know, and getting to that point in time before, again, before that first report went out, how was the client? I mean, was how would, I imagine there was some trust that was built up to that point. There was. And so, you know, that was one of the very interesting things was apart from just like preparing the calculation, which was our responsibility, like that calculation did go through multiple levels of review. So, you know, between HR, who is inputting the numbers into the payroll system so that the doctors can get paid, HR is reviewing the calculation. The CEO was reviewing the calculation. The operators of each of the regions reviewed the calculations and the scorecards for each of their groups. But again, I think probably all of those people have one thing in common. And that one thing is they're looking at compensation that is not their own, right? <laughs> and so a doctor is going to have a lot more scrutiny over their own compensation Absolutely. than someone else's compensation. Um, and so I think for us, it was more a matter of, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so when you go back and like before that first report goes out, before that first payroll gets issued, we felt confident because we had done the due diligence and everything that we had thought through and all those items that we had addressed. I think what we didn't realize was, here are the five things that you still didn't consider and account for in your process. Yeah, and I, I would imagine, you know, your emotions were very, very different, you know, shortly thereafter. Um, but 
I mean, you 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 bring up this point, and I I think this is there's a couple things that that's I think that's always happening. We we could all, we could apply this to every aspect of our life, but there's there's always a point like even when we're very very comfortable with it, even after we've made mistakes, there's still going to be something new. There's some new element that's going to be there, but at at any given point in time, it's easy to you know to it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture that now you have that insight and now you know two years later or even just a couple iterations later a lot of that has worked itself out so at any given point in time we look at that and we go okay at the very beginning of this project you have some anxiety this is a new experience for you it's a the client wanted to improve some things or they wouldn't have signed on to be a part of this in the first place right so everybody's got good intentions there were a lot of wins there and then because that effort was put in there, you you acquire new data points. And then now you go learn from that. And in the short term, it's probably going to be pretty uncomfortable. And there's going to be some, even if it's nobody's fault, there's going to be some, okay, we got to go fix this. And that's going to create new anxiety. And what about my working relationship with these people? Is there still trust? How do we repair it? How do we get to the next level? But in 12 months, now you've got better communication. The client has more transparency. There's accuracy. The process is improved. The, everybody's gotten through that, I think it, though it, there are different points in time where it's easy to get caught up in the emotion of it, which, is easy, easy, and which I think is where the, the failure or the, I don't want to have to deal with all this like <laughs> negative energy or this, yeah, this, this is not a good, comfortable situation to be in right now, but in a relatively short period of time that becomes taken care of, assuming everybody's committed to improving. It right? does. And I, I think that was, you know, to your point, that's the biggest piece is the one thing that we had in common on that project is everyone was pulling in the same direction, you know? And so when you talk about that level of trust and kind of maybe the trust that went into our team in preparing the calculation and maybe even some of the, you know, the steps in the review process where, you know, we could have vetted these things out. Maybe there was almost too much trust at that time. Um, but you know certainly like as we work through those other iterations first off like learning about some of those things that we didn't account for that we needed to was a very humbling experience um you know and the biggest thing there was again just putting yourself in the doctor's shoes and understanding the implications on their side of of those items and you know whether that was I mean, in some instances, we had doctors that were overpaid, which was great for them until we had to ask them, <laughs> you know, to either pay us back or let them know that in their next paycheck, we were going to be truing that up. And then we had doctors that were underpaid that could figure it out. And, you know, they were not happy because they wanted to be made whole. And so those were the things we had to walk through those. And that was probably the hardest part was a, admitting there was room for improvement when we took so much pride and effort into the original calculation. And then B, just having to walk through it with those doctors who were already high on emotions and, you know, maybe a little bit um, less patient than we would have hoped for. But learning from them and hearing their point of view and you know, learning their side of the story, I think was, those were the things that were essential for us to get it right moving forward. In addition to having that level of care and that level of trust and the desire to get it right, you know, and not just to say, hey, 80% is good enough. 
we want to get this thing perfect or as perfect as possible. And I would say like, uh, I don't have an accounting background, right? But I think to your earlier point, Jonathan, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a piece of paper visualizing an org chart and we have to accomplish this goal and this statement goes out and we're accounting for this or that. But I, I would say that forever moving forward on any project that you're gonna be a part of or anybody on that team, and I'm sure you've had similar experiences, now you've got the, I think you're, now you've got this human component that you're analyzing or in, in the back of your mind even of like, well, I wanna make sure we account for this. And now that, that I think that makes you a significantly better accountant or yep. whatever you're doing because you're going to be able to catch or deal with things in a more human way you know or account for some of those things that are the intangibles that can't be captured when you're looking at data points right um well that i think that's a great example technical um you know something that probably i, I would say our audience can easily relate with I want to go back in your time machine, Jonathan, and yep. uh, to a completely different example, if that was probably some more, you know, day to day situations that, you know, our audience can relate to. Where are we going back in in your past? So we're going back to the beginning of my career, I'll say, um, just coming out of college and going into the workforce, really, to have my first full time job, which was as a teacher. Um, I started out in the summer. I was helping to teach uh, some high schoolers. I think it was geometry that I was helping with there. And then um, when I got my job in the fall, that was for sixth and seventh grade remedial math. So that's, that's, where, that's where I started my career at. What happened was I got through the summer and things were okay. Generally speaking, I was able to work with the students. I was able to teach what I needed to teach as a portion of that. But what I didn't have was coming into the sixth and seventh grade bit and having the ability to establish, uh, we called it classroom culture, but it's effectively how your classroom operates. This is day-to-day -day procedures. People come in, they know to expect these different things as being a part of your classroom. And I didn't, I didn't do a good job of that. I didn't have the appropriate level of context for what that's supposed to look like. So there was a lot of me coming in, not knowing how to do what it was that I needed to do and not understanding that some of the things that I needed to do in order to make sure that things were going to be successful weren't what you would consider the core part of what it is that you do. Like, you know, we talk about a lot in our line of work, oh, I was in meetings all day, and so I didn't get to do my actual real work. And very similarly, it was like, okay, you know, they spent so much time doing behavioral corrections or whatever else it happened to be that I didn't spend any time doing my real work, which was teaching, not understanding that all of these things come into play and it all makes up a gigantic hole. And there was, uh, I, I didn't have those abilities and I didn't have the ability to see everything that I needed to see at that Can point you give, give, me, give yep. me an example? Because I'm, I'm imagining you in a classroom, you kind of know what the, if I'm understanding you mm -hmm. correctly, there's there's the curriculum, there's the goals, there's mm -hmm. what we want to teach. And you sounds like you're very familiar with that, but mm -hmm. the actual transfer of knowledge or getting the students to engage and go through that learning experience. Is that kind of what you're? Saying? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so so it's, it's, I came in and I had lesson plans and everything and I was ready to go in and do what it was that I needed to do there. But the problem was 
what are you going to do with like kids coming in late? What if they come in and do they have assigned seats and then do they start talking to this person over here? And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe there's tension like going on over there. And how do you catch that early enough in order to be able to mitigate it before all of a sudden it turns into something much bigger? And then you're over here and you're dealing with this particular behavioral problem that's going on on this side of the classroom and then on the complete opposite end of the classroom, two people are going at it over there and then it's like, okay, how do I go from over here to over there? And I'm just feeling completely and you're in your early 20s. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm right, I'm <laughs> yeah. like 21, 22 years old and I'm trying to mitigate all this stuff. Don't have any kids. I'm like, ah, what is, I don't, I don't know what to do here. All I feel like I'm doing is just wrangling up people and preventing people from killing each other and that's basically it. That that was success, actually. Uh, that's and, and that's and that's a lot of people were saying that at the time. It was like you know sometimes you just have to measure success as like nobody nobody died. It was fine, but it was when every day was like that. It was like how do we make sure that these kids are learning something in the middle of here? Because my job ultimately is to teach them. It's not to babysit them. Yeah, and I would imagine you had a passion. I mean, that's part of why you probably pursued mm -hmm. it. So you've got a passion for educating or helping people get to that next level right so absolutely yeah must have been incredibly frustrating for you to go home at the end of you know or after the class or go home at the end of the day or weeks like what were you feeling and how did that evolve over what time period i felt i felt a lot of things i, I felt a lot of stress i felt a lot of anxiety and i felt i was i was pretty depressed at the time honestly um it's one of those things where it's early in life and you think the world looks a particular way and it just doesn't like you saw things through one perspective your entire life and you didn't have that experience where all of a sudden you could zoom out and you could go, yeah, well, that's, you're just a part of something that is much bigger. And here's what all of that, you know, stuff looks like, right? Like you come into it and uh, everybody does when they're, when they're young, they come into whatever industry, whatever thing it is that they have. And it's, very idealistic, right? It's it's I'm going to be some sort of change that's going to be in the middle of all this stuff. Like I'm I'm going to be helping, and then you get into the middle of certain situations, and you start to find things. You know, you did you didn't have to deal with it for the beginning portion of your life. You everybody told you throughout the beginning of your life, like oh you can do like whatever it is that you want to do, and then you get into you get into that spot, and then you find out there are things way bigger than you that have been there way longer than you, and like they're much scarier than you are, and those things like like you just you just don't understand the level and the magnitude of what it is that you're up against. Now you had people who were senior to you. Mm -hmm. You had other you know people who'd been in this institution for a while what what did did you ask for help what did you do how, how did you I react? did I did and that's and that's something that I'm trying I'm still trying to work through right now the lessons to be learned from that experience I did go through and I did ask for help I don't think I knew what to ask for mm. is a big part of the problem I'd go into different things and th and there and there were certain things that I was willing to do but then there were other things that I don't know if that's a young person thing or like what it is, but it's it's not being a, not being able to see, hey, these people are telling you something and that thing is very important and you're kind of dismissing that as something else. And like now all of a sudden you're seeing like, you know, years and years later, you can see like, oh, well, that was kind of, yeah, 
that would that was a lot more spot on than it was or you know there's there's different bits so i, th I think there's 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 multiple things that happened there i think one of it is i didn't know how to ask for the type of help that i needed and the other thing is when people would give me some of the answers that i would need i don't know if i was as receptive to some of those things at that time we've reached the midway point of this episode are you enjoying the conversation be sure to subscribe so you never miss out on wisdom that can help you work smarter to level up faster speaking of which have a follow-up question or future topic request, email us at podcasts at embarkwithus.com so we can get to work on creating content that'll help you get wherever you want to grow. And now, back to the discussion. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, okay, that, he was 21, 22 years old. And I'm like, I, I, I feel like the last few years I've encountered a lot of the same things. How, how about you? I mean, in, in just in terms of, you know, like you specifically, I want to accomplish this or I want a different experience than the one I'm getting. I don't know how to get it, but I sometimes don't even know how the heck to, what even to ask to help myself get it. Or I'll be honest, I'm stubborn sometimes. Sometimes, you know, one person will, might be uh, wanting to help and tell me something and I might receive that in one way. And then I might sit down and 20 minutes later with a completely different person. And for whatever reason, there's a connection and I'm more open-minded to it. But how about you? Do you, do you does any of this resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely does. I think, you know, the one thing that I found very interesting and the whole concept of being a teacher is so foreign to me, but, you know, you, you think about like the responsibilities that you have as a teacher and obviously there is this learning component, but also like the managing the students piece, I think is probably overlooked in large part to like what makes that job so difficult. And so, you know, kind of coming in with certain expectations and maybe a game plan or a vision of how you're gonna go about something. And then just the situation necessitates a change or a deviation from that plan. You know, in some ways, it almost sounds like, Jonathan, maybe your focus had to be more on just like keeping kids from killing each other, you know? And I, look, at the end of the day, to your point, like there's different measures of success, right? And so I think sometimes it is also having like that perspective of, you know, not what did you set out to accomplish, but looking back in hindsight, what did you actually accomplish? And those two things I think can be very different sometimes. For a probably a shorter period of time, but for like three months, I taught a freshman sophomore class at, at Ohio State. And I can relate to some of the, like, you know, my dream scenario would be to walk in and I'm inspiring a class of 30 people and they're all showing up on time and they're asking questions and they're engaged and like yep. all of them want to go start their own business. It was an entrepreneurship course. Yeah. The reality was is that people would show up late. Most people yep. were somewhat checked out. Yep. But I, but there were like three of the 30 who, you know, they might spend a little bit of time after class or do something. Yep. And I found that to be rewarding. Now I was... 31, 32 years old at the time. So yeah. 10 years of more experiences for you. But what part felt like failure for you? And then what what happened? Like what was the, what happens next? I, I often say that that is the only point in my life that I truly consider to be a failure because I quit. Mm. And that's like, I mean, most of the time, whenever, when, when I initially got what this podcast was of greatest failures, 
it's the only one that I can really think of because just about everything else was able to go through, was able to work through things. It was able, you know, I sat there in it and said, okay, we need to find a way to be able to move through this. That's the only time that I ever sat there and was like, can't do it. That's it for me. And the feeling of failure, was it more the day-to-day during or more the I think it was day afterwards. after? I think yeah, it was afterwards. Back. It's, I mean, it's, I mean, it, I felt like I was failing during it for sure because it was i came here to teach and i'm not teaching like i this is this is the point of this and i'm not doing that there was that that felt like a failure that was day in day out and then there was also the afterwards of like yeah you did quit on that yeah you did leave the kids yeah like that's the reality of the situation like you left and what happened then? What 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 what, what happened next in your life? <laughs> um, that's after that I got my job at PwC. I was unemployed for about a month, I think. And then um, I had a friend who was working over at PwC, and then he put in a recommendation for me, and I started up there. Um, I started at like a kind of like hourly position. Um, so it was like they called it a paraprofessional. So you were uh, basically like beneath uh, like an associate. An associate would be like what you came out of college as. And so like I started out as a paraprofessional, and I was like, that's fine. I'll do that for a bit. And then that's how my accounting career gets started. Leaving the classroom environment mm-hmm. with some of those feelings and frustrations. And yeah. then say a few months after you'd made the transition to doing something completely different. Yeah. What's your inner dialogue at that point? I was actually very thankful to to had the position that I had um, in the office because one of the biggest things that, I, like I know this about me now, I uh, didn't know it about myself at the time was if I have to stand up and just attend to people's needs constantly, like standing up in front of them, talking to them, not getting a chance to just basically stop talking and do something for like not getting that break in things. It just wasn't for me. I knew when I was ending my time there, I just want to go work in an office where people leave me alone for a bit and I can just go do my work and then come back and those type like that type of bit but i was not at a space where i think i was like i don't know if you want to call that emotionally mature enough or whatever but i didn't have that ability to be able to sit there in front of people and just do that day in day out so i was actually very thankful when i got my um when i got my office job because it was okay this is going to give me what it is that i wanted in order to be able to build up to wherever else it is that i want to go there's layers to this of course but I mean, if you deconstruct the, it's a different environment Mm -hmm. and you're getting, there's some positive reinforcement now going on within you, which had to, I don't know, I mean, build a little bit of confidence. It had to make you feel like a little bit more stable or, you know, you're not having all this like chaos going on inside you every single day. Yeah. And you got new reps, new practice reps, new situations you were in. Mm -hmm. You look back on both of those environments now, knowing what you know. What do you know about yourself now? Yeah, I think... The first thing is I still refer back to the time that I was a teacher. There's lots of things that I learned and it might have been inadvertent things that I was learning during that time. It might not have been the primary focus. These are things that would have resolved the issues that I had at the time, but they're things that I was able to carry forward and through into other parts. I'm sure I've mentioned them before, some of the stuff before on other podcasts that we've done here. So there's that. And then that 
finding something that is right for you at a particular point in time, that's something that I've also been able to carry into other positions that I've gone over to. I don't think I really truly regret having any of the jobs that I've had over time because I made decisions to go into specific jobs for particular reasons. Each of them had a purpose behind them of I'm leaving this environment and I am going into this environment and my hope in going into that environment is to gain whatever it is that I'm looking to gain out of that new environment. And so that's something that I've been able to carry into each of those, into each of the transitions that I've had from jobs time in, time out. I've quit things before. And I mean, sometimes you're you're, you're quitting on, I don't want to deal with these, whatever for me, negative types of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, a bad boss, boring work, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then there's, on the other side of that too, there's also something I'm pursuing. I want mm-hmm. more fulfillment. I want to make a bigger impact. I want to learn something. You know, what I'm hearing, you know, like work environment has, you, you could do the exact same thing here. Mm-hmm. And then in this environment, it's a very different experience than over here in this environment. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. And the, the, I think I think also like a lot of my, my backgrounds, I mean, may, maybe to an outsider, some of it will look a lot similar, but a lot of it's quite different. Um, like, because it was, went from being a teacher, then I went into corporate America, right? And I'm working as in tax. And then from, you know, from an accountant's perspective, we know there's a difference between tax and audit. And I went from being in tax to then going over to audit. And then now I'm in business transformation. These are all completely different areas of life in like, not life, but they're, they're all different areas of work. And um, so yeah, like there, there might be some similarities between those. Like I'm doing the same thing, but like over here, I think a lot of it's like reshaping your brain and going like, okay, well, how do I take some of the things that were in that past environment? And then how do I like reframe it into a way that kind of fits into this new space, which is like, I'm doing something different, but I did learn things in the past that I'm able to plug in over here. Yeah, and to me that that's, you look at and you go, okay, there's, I don't know, let's just, there's a thousand people who do this type of business transformation or mm-hmm. who, who let's just say use this technology to do business transformation for companies in this particular space mm-hmm. all those people have that in common but what's unique about you is, is that you come from tax and you also have the classroom perspective and every every one of those yeah. people has that layer to them as well mm-hmm. but i you know i think you could even characterize that being in those different environments whether it be failure whether it being just you changed as a person whether it be whatever yeah you have become a better and more versatile problem solver mm-hmm. essentially and how to take all of that knowledge and then now go apply it to the next project that you're on and then i would say you know in your case of all the people who do what you do right what makes you even more dangerous is that you've been a part of something where you got to you got you got to actually share some of that experience of you know what would maybe be a, a a number on a on a balance sheet to somebody else for you is now there's like a name of a human being associated with it and having a lens into their life of how that affects them on a day-to-day basis right so that makes both of you that much better at what you're doing and carrying that into the next problem how do you see it no i i absolutely agree with that i think you know jonathan's story to me is so fascinating because i think when you think about accountants, like so many of us come from just the traditional background of, I went to college, I got my accounting degree and I started in big four, you know, and here I am and kind of this one space is all I've ever known, you know? And so when I think about it from that perspective, like 
yes, teaching is such a different environment and so maybe not fundamentally different from accounting, but there's a lot of differences there. And I would imagine for you, there's probably a lot of opportunity to learn things about like, how do I manage other people? You know, how do I manage specific situations? And, you know, each of those elements, to your point, taking them and applying them into different situations, like I almost think of it as the further apart that two situations are where you can still take lessons from one and apply them to the other makes you even that much more versatile than, you know, here are two very similar situations and, you know, the learning lessons that I took in situation A, now I'm applying them to B because they're the same thing. Like that in my mind requires a little bit less critical thinking and problem solving than the example of, I've gone from one industry to another industry to now a different subsection of that industry. And so to be able to connect those dots, I think is, you know, not only incredible, but just, you know, a really rare skill set to have. I'm not thinking of anything specific, <laughs> but 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 I'm I'm feeling something, right? Of of almost at any given point in my life. I've and I've had countless different jobs and failures and changes and stuff along the way, but at one particular moment, it feels like a failure. Or it feels like frustration, or I, or, or, or maybe it's only a failure with, in the sense that there was something that I set out to accomplish that I got so focused on that it had to be this way. And even if there were growth and opportunities, and I'm improving at certain areas, or that unlocks some door three years from now that I can't even conceive, sometimes in the moment, I didn't feel good about my situation. Yep. And then now looking back, you know, in 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 two years, I may be doing something that I wouldn't be able to do, or maybe I, maybe I, you know, another thing, sometimes failure creates enough frustration for you to use the frustration as fuel to make an important change that maybe like I could tell you, Hey, this would maybe be a good idea. Or I think here's another option for you. And at the time, maybe it whatever it doesn't sound right but then you know something happens something changes it could be a catalyst too so i mean you get knowledge from failure you get fuel from failure to break through or just even change directions i find that even on a day-to-day -day basis sometimes i still kind of focus on what's not going right and that that isn't always the healthiest way to look at it yeah it's like it's it's very difficult when you're in the middle of something to be able to pull yourself out of it and go, this is a part of a much larger narrative. It's generally speaking, not only until later that we sit there and we look back on things after a million sleepless nights and just being up worrying about all the different mistakes that we've made. A million, what are you like 270 years old? I'm just yeah, kidding. right. Okay. Um, <laughs> that was just high school. Not a even million, accurate, a million yeah. different mistakes was just <laughs> high school. Um, but, uh, but like going back through and, and uh, like sitting there and th there's, there's in a moment feeling that discomfort and it's i think it goes I, I hate the word discomfort because that makes it seem so like like it's almost like you know like you have like an ache not an actual pain but like in the moment it feels like actual pain of like this is very intense and i don't like this and i don't you know like anything about it and also you're reacting to things and you're not liking the way that you're reacting to things. And it's everything becomes this gigantic ball of like, not good. 
And it's not until later that you can sit there and you can start dissecting everything and going like, okay, there was an initial problem and here was the problem with the initial problem. But then you can also go wider and go, and then there's a way that I reacted to everything. And I didn't particularly like the way I reacted to everything. And like, how do I... So there might be a lesson that's in the middle of that initial bit of discomfort of like, okay, so I learned, you know, like maybe in your particular example, right? Like it's it's maybe I learned in that particular example of like, okay, here's here's what to look for when we're dealing with payroll issues in the future. Like this, these, I have a checklist now and I go through those different things. But then there's also a secondary component to it too, which is, okay, and we know that problems are going to arise because again, we don't know, we're going to be in situations where we don't know what we don't know. And the question isn't around, you know, how, how, how do, how do I make sure that I know everything in the entire universe? So that way, all of a sudden I never run into a situation where I don't know what I don't know. You're going to be in situations where you don't know what you don't know. The question is, how do I deal with that component of things like how do i make sure that we have all the information that we need or if i know that i'm not going to have all the information that i need before i need to put something out how do we have a system put in place where all of a sudden it's okay now i'm getting feed like there's an ancillary component to things which is like the how do i personally handle not just the fail like like on my part like it's not just about oh well this is how you instill discipline in a classroom like if that's all it is that i took out of that that wouldn't be sufficient to be able to handle like what it is that i'm trying to get at like at the end of the day it's okay so you were given a difficult situation and like how do we make sure that we have perseverance in order to be able to get through there how do we lean on other people in order to be able to get what it is that we need to get like from help like how do i ask for that type of help what does that help look like what is you know, like what are the important parts of your job that exist outside of the core component of what you consider your job? Like there's lots of other things that are that are there. Those are all like the ancillary components to like trying to be able to figure out like, what, what do I take away from this? It's not just, okay, well, I took away that specific thing. It's how do I take away all these other things around like, I can't predict those I can't predict every difficult situation I'm going to be in, but I can sit there and go, okay, but how am I going to react to that? That is something that I can predict. I know I'm going to get in situations that I don't know these yeah. things, but that's okay because I know I'm going to be able to react to it in this way. There's a few things going on at the same time. You know, one one is there's if if I have this job or if I'm in you know studying this right, if I I can check this box, check this box, check this box, and I you know and then I pass. Right, so in that sense, it's successful. But I think that the growth or what makes you good at something happens when there's a variable you hadn't accounted for or you fail. And more specifically, you feel the consequences of the failure because mm -hmm. then it's like, I can sit here and tell you both, don't touch that fire. It's gonna, you're gonna get burns <laughs> on your hand, right? And it's logical, you understand it. Yep. You, could, you could even see me put my hand in the fire and jump back and like see my flesh all melted, right? Yep. You still learn the lesson. But once you've actually burned your hand in the fire, now you actually appreciate that. And then, and so that's, that's one lens to deconstruct that even a little bit. It's almost like we're in these little silos of false comfort. And so if, if we stay in that silo, I can, I can theorize all of the things that could be done, but until I go do those things and then get some response from other people or the real world or the situation or, or have a bad experience, 
then I, I can't actually, there's, there's not real accumulated knowledge that I can apply. And then to your point, at the same time, there's this developing this, I don't know how I would characterize it, but like mental toughness or self-awareness to understand that these things are going to continuously be happening. And no matter how much I know, no matter how much I've accomplished, there will always be more stuff that I don't know. And the world, by the way, is constantly changing. So mm -hmm. that is never going to change, even if we want it to. So then how do I deal with these situations? That's what I'm getting out of this. And I, I think if we're going to leave our audience with some takeaways here, what's something that you would recommend that either you're applying to yourself on how to navigate the day-to-day -day of all this chaos happening and just part of growing and being better at life and whatever versus the, you know, the actual, like, these are the things that make me good at what I do. How do you manage that? I guess the one takeaway that I would give and that I've felt from this conversation is, you know, we, we kind of have this, I'll call it a taboo on failure. You know, people don't like talking about their failures. They, in some ways, People like to give this like, you know, perfect and ideal impression of themselves, you know? And I think when you look at like where we're at as a society, there is a component of society that plays into that. You know, you look at social media and like people want to present these perfect flawless pictures. And you think about like, how many times do you post on Instagram how many times are you taking that one picture to get the right angle and the right lighting, you know, and all of those perfections and not the flaws and the failures. So I think there's a little bit of this taboo around failure and imperfection. The one thing that I would say is I've been in points in my life where I've intentionally avoided failure and even just exposure and that risk, you know, not where I went above and beyond to make sure I didn't fail, but I intentionally avoided situations where I could fail. What I found in those moments was as an individual and as a professional, I wasn't growing during those times, you know, because I wasn't putting myself out there and taking risks and, you know, being okay with failing. I wouldn't grow as quickly as when I did and when I had to walk through those and see what the outcome was and get on the other side of those moments. So from my standpoint, you know, failure, while it's something that none of us are proud to admit, and obviously we don't wanna make mistakes and we don't want to fail, there is a, an important component of embracing those failures so that you can learn from them and so that you can apply those lessons going forward in life and any other situations that you're in. That's great perspective. Um, can, can relate to that too. There, there's times when like you almost want to, like I want to be in an environment where I do feel safe maybe for a little bit, mm -hmm. but but then the growth does stop, right? That's so true. Uh, how about you, Jonathan? What's, is there any, I, I, I mean, hearing you, I'm wondering if, do you feel like you're more likely to put yourself in a situation like that now because of the what you've learned painfully through some of those failures previously in your life? Yeah, I actually, um, so I, I, I might've talked about before on a different podcast, but like my sport now is like, I, I started jujitsu last year and that was something that I intentionally was seeking out because it is an environment where you have to fail often 
like it's just you can't go into it and then expect like nobody's good at it when they first go into it like you're gonna fail and you're gonna fail and fail again and everything and you have to be able to learn from that in order to get better and I'm now in my life where I'm looking for environments where that is going to happen because it's a particular skill that I think you have to place yourself in and it, do, it doesn't have to be that it can be like whatever it is if you're going in and you're doing public speaking stuff and you start up you know doing toastmasters or whatever it is like just finding an environment where it's okay i'm going to go in this thing and i have an understanding that i'm going to be bad at it and it's maybe maybe it is a particular skill that and that skill itself is something that you want to own but there's another component to it too which is like i need to develop that concept of perseverance through difficult situations and that's something that i'm willing to do and i'm also willing to put myself in an environment where everybody who's in there is collectively working towards the same thing and we were actually talking about this yesterday or the day before but it was when we surround ourselves with people who are all working towards a common goal and then that just becomes the norm of i go into this environment and i'm surrounded by people who are all trying to do the same thing and that's inevitably becomes a particular part of yourself that you build up so definitely like now it's that's that's something that i value is being able to go to environments where everybody's there and they're there because because they want to challenge themselves and they know they're going to fail and that's okay it's not about oh well i have to be perfect it's actually about like no like this is a completely imperfect place and everybody's doing things imperfectly we all recognize that we're doing things imperfectly but the point is to make each other better so that's we're all collectively here to make each other better and that's those are spaces that I want to be in now versus spaces where it's no, you have to put up that front that you were talking about where it's like, you know, like I generally actively avoid social media. And the big part of the reason why I do that is because I just don't want to be in an environment where it's it, all it is, is that that facade that is here is what my perfection looks like. And you don't see you know, the tons of hours that it is that I've put into something like behind the scenes and the tons of pictures that like I had to take in order to do this or the honing in of makeup skills or like whatever it is that like I've had to do over time in order to get this result. All you end up seeing is the result. And then you feel like, well, I got I got to have that thing, you know, being an environment where everybody actively embraces the fact that they're constantly failing. Like that's something that now I look for and I want to be a part of those communities. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it says about y'all too, but I will say that I get a lot of value from my conversations with with you with you too. So uh, you know, you, you, I think about PR and I think about social media, and I think you know every every big organization has to maintain this, never really acknowledging you know failure, um, never you know. But I, I think that I'll only speak for myself, although I sense that you know it's something I share in common with you too, and it's something I would imagine that because that's how things are publicly all throughout society that there are a lot of people who are starving for a connection with people who are okay with being vulnerable and i like talking with with you two and and you know we become friends because i think i appreciate that there is a level of like authenticity and like it's okay to talk about our failures and i think that that in turn i come to you guys sometimes when i'm having some challenges because it's like i want to get your perspective mainly because i know that you failed many times and so you probably got a lot of wisdom as opposed yeah. to like I, i'm not proactively seeking to go to the person who's like always perfect and always says the right things and never acknowledges any weakness <laughs> or failure like i don't want to go to that person because what am i going to learn from them you yeah. know so I, I think 
I don't know if I'm doing a good job bringing up, but there's there's something there. I think like it, seeing that authenticity. But but to your point, I find that you both share that growth mindset, and that's you know that like hey, failure is going to happen, and it's nice to be around people, uh, sub ecosystems within a bigger ecosystem, or friends, or you know jujitsu, you know clubs that you're going to on a regular basis. But like everybody's there because they want to embrace that growth mindset. And then being in that environment strengthens everybody, but also everybody's showing up every day despite all of those failures. So it gets reinforced on another level. So, you know, we've got mindset, there's habits here, there's who you surround yourself with. And then I think, you know, part of just like accepting that there's, (laughs) there's always going to be something new that is going to get in your way. Yeah. Is there anything else that either of you would add to that? No. All right, my final question then, as leaders, you both manage teams, you develop people. We've got all different kinds of personalities. You've got team goals, you've got different dynamics and challenges that are part of the equation. But is there anything that you can do or have you done as a leader uh, to create an environment where the people who at least are on your team are more comfortable with talking about failure or taking chances and learning and and reinforcing all the things we've talked about? So there's one thing for me and you know, this is something that I picked up kind of in my sports background, but I've always been of kind of the philosophy that you win as a team and you fail as an individual. And what I mean by that is when you have successes, give the credit to other people, you know, because even if, you know, you may be the one managing that situation or the one directly involved in whatever the success is it's not possible without the support and the guidance of those people around you so i've always found it important that when you have success give the credit to other people and likewise when you fail take ownership of that you know number one it helps hold yourself accountable and recognize that you're not perfect and there are areas that you can improve But two, I think it gives confidence being a leader for other people to see, hey, this person isn't afraid to to own up to, you know, this mistake or that they're maybe shielding me from some of the fallout of, of this situation and the ramifications of that. I think it makes other people more likely to put themselves out there and to take that own risk. And as long as they approach it with the right mindset and that eagerness to grow and develop as as a human being and understand that, hey, I may make a mistake, I may fail, that's part of the learning process. And as long as I approach it with the right attitude and you know have an open mind and willing to learn through walking through this, that to me, I think is the most important thing. The best thing that I've ever had a manager do for me and like the best thing that like I feel like I can do as a manager is like admit when you're wrong and say that you're sorry. If you can do those things instead of making it, if all you do as a manager is blame everybody else for the situation that you're in, then what do you think everybody else on your team's gonna do? If you think that all of a sudden they're gonna start taking responsibility for things, like no, of course they're not gonna take responsibility for anything because you don't take responsibility for anything. So when you sit there and you go, yep, I missed that one, that's on me. Like we can, like, I need to do better at this. You're going to, and then they need to see the follow-up action that you're doing as a portion of that, right? Like I miss that. I need to do a better job reviewing. Let's just call it that. I need to do a better job at reviewing these types of things. 
I'm going to do a better job of that in the future. Or, or, hey, I didn't communicate that stuff with you. That's that's totally on me. That is not on you for missing this bit. Even if you can be like, you know, like, and everybody can do this, right? Like they can, they can sit there and they can nitpick and they can be like, oh, well, you should have asked me for this thing or you should have like done. Yeah, should have, could have, would have, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you just sit there and you just go, no, the buck stops here. It was my fault. I didn't tell you that thing. That's me. You're going to get that a lot in you're going to get the same exact response like back from them, like in terms of like, Hey, I messed this thing up. And that also has like a benefit in that when people do mess up, you find out about it sooner rather than like somebody messes something up and they're so focused on being perfect that they're just trying to cover it up make sure that nobody notices that like they messed up. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the day and it's like, Hey, why is, why is all this stuff messed up? Like we got to send this thing out tomorrow. And now I can't, if they would have told you a while back, but the only way that they're going to tell you a while back is when you're admitting in real time that you are making mistakes. That's when they're going to be willing to admit in real time that they're making mistakes. And then that helps them grow. It helps you grow. It just helps everybody. It's funny. You got these two, two, two competing forces is a, a choice, if you will, of, of which one, you know, if you want to project that, that same pull that we feel in, on maybe social or PR, you know, it's like perfection. I never make any mistakes. You know, I point fingers then you're, you'll get that and nobody's really going to grow. Um, and at some point there won't be anybody else left to, <laughs> to blame uh, or the complete opposite can happen. And maybe it's a little uncomfortable at times, but I think it definitely, you know, again, talking about YouTube brings you closer to people. And, um, you know, I think being around y'all, you're, you're, I don't want to say hard on yourselves, but you, it's very obvious that you're mindful of different things and, uh, have a level of self-awareness that I think is refreshing. So I can I can see how your teams would feel the same way and be be comfortable too. So great discussion, guys. Appreciate you being comfortable with peeling back the layers and you know analyzing failure from some different lenses. But uh, I know I always learn from you. So I, I hope our audience gets a lot of value and really grateful for you spending some of your time today. Yeah, appreciate. Thanks for having, having us. us. Thank you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I hope you got a ton of value from our panel and choose to transform their insights into action and unstoppable momentum. If you have a follow-up question or a future topic request, please email us at podcasts at embarkwithus.com. That's podcasts at embarkwithus.com so we can get to work on creating content that'll get you wherever you want to grow. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss out on wisdom to help you work smarter and level up faster. And lastly, if you're a repeat listener, consider supporting the show with a five-star rating so those algorithms can expand our reach and impact. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being here. Cheers.